Welcome to Voices of Experience, your audio and video access to interviews, insights, and information that will help you speak more and speak better. Voices of Experience is brought to you by the National Speakers Association. Now, here are your hosts, Stephen Iverson, CSP, and Pilar Ortiz. Welcome, everyone. Very nice to share with each of you our March 2016 edition of VOE Voices of Experience. I cannot believe, Stephen, it's already March. And the question here is, how are we doing with those goals we set three months ago? For example, how are we using different technologies to engage with our audiences in several ways? Do not miss this month's edition of Speakers Magazine with some ideas about videos, use of cellular phones, and Zoom, among other resources. The topic, presentation technologies. When Pilar and I began to plan for this year, we decided we wanted to focus on subjects and content that could help the working professional speaker. So this edition has some interesting conversations about public seminars, sales, and the subject that very few people really want to talk about, and that's taxes. That's right. We have key guests and conversations with successful speakers that will share their knowledge, effective tips, and proven techniques. We had the opportunity to record a video interview with Lois Kramer, so make sure you click on the icon at the bottom of the app to watch it, as well as our VOE available this month on video. Let's get started. Are you selling your expertise while using social media? You know how we used to go to the yellow pages to find things out about companies? Now we go to social media. And there is an effective way to engage with those buyers in order to grow our business. It's about social selling. Phil Gerbyshack has developed systems that give him results, and he shares with us the best ways to interact with different audiences in social media. Are we consistently providing what they are looking for? It doesn't have to take several hours a day, but it is about choosing what is right for us. Well, when it comes to the wild, wild west of social media, we get wow. pretty scared. But sometimes somebody comes along that makes some sense out of it all for us. And I think that's Phil Gerbyshack, don't you? I think so. I agree. And it's not as overwhelming as we may think. Social media could be very effective way to use it to find buyers and sell more. Welcome, Phil. Thank you. It's great <laughs> to be here. Let's start there. It's about social selling, finding buyers. How do you do that? Absolutely. Social selling is all about finding buyers. It's not about marketing anymore. Too much noise out there. You have to figure out which platform that folks are using. Do some searches. Look by title. Look by company. Look by industry. Look by name. Look for people who know people in those companies. And if you don't know them, ask for a referral. Ask for an introduction or... If you're using LinkedIn, go ahead and buy an in-mail and make that introduction yourself. But you have to be relevant and you have to find them because you have to use their words, not yours. That sounds very good, but it sounds also like a lot of time that you have to be there hours and hours. And we are always on the road, traveling, airports, hotels. 
How much time do you spend in social media? How much time is a relative question. Some days I spend five minutes. I make one connection. I make. I look somebody up. I see that it's somebody's birthday. I make a phone call. Some days, if people are talking back to me, if they're commenting on my stuff and I'm replying back, I might spend a couple hours. But I think about that and I think about if people were calling my office, would I ever hang up the phone? No, not until they're done talking to me. <laughs> we right? keep the conversation going. <laughs> we will keep the conversation going. Absolutely. We wouldn't. Social media is the same way. But we have to show up a little bit every day. Spending the time in between things or setting aside 30 minutes to connect, but coming up with a strategy first, because if you don't know where your buyers are, you're really just kind of goofing around and out in the wind and you, no idea if you're ever going to get any return on your investment. So where are the right places for speakers to be? Great question. Speakers, of course, need to have video. We all know that. We hear that we need to be on YouTube and we know that we need to respond to people there. A lot of times people just view the video. That's not really social. So if we think about it, our buyers are typically either going to be on LinkedIn or they're going to be on Twitter. It's way easier to search on LinkedIn than it is by Twitter. They're all just search engines, though. So remember, shift up your terms. Look at the way that people search. Look at the way that people find you. See who's viewed your profile. Things like that. So LinkedIn, great for B2B. Twitter, better for the B2C type folks. And then remember that your audience is also important. They're going to be a great referral source. Spend some time on Facebook. Be personal. Be human on Facebook. Share your pictures. And don't just be a headshot that never changes. That picture from 1979 is not <laughs> going to do any good. It's not going to engage people. It's not going to say, hey, you're awesome. I should talk to you. Instead, it's going to say, I'm out of date. I'm old. I don't want to be talked to. I'm not approachable. And then add some value there. Add some of your content. Mix that in with that. So as you are posting, you want to show your family. You want to show that you travel here and there, business, a little bit of everything. What is the balance? What is that percentage? Yeah. So typically, I will say two or three posts of whatever you want, something of interest. Maybe you watch a cool TV show. You went to the movies. You saw a great article in the newspaper, whatever, may or may not be on topic. Two or three then personal things. Picture of you grilling out. Picture of you at the ball game. Picture of you running before an event, telling people kind of where you are. Hey, did you know that I travel? Did you know that I'm speaking at this event? And then pouring value in five or six pieces of content. So when you add that up and you think in terms of 10 little pieces of content, about six pieces that are value add, two pieces that are very personal, two pieces that are whatever the heck you want that might add some credibility to who you are, or it might just add some interest as far as who you are as a person. So just pumping content into all of these channels isn't the magic bullet. It's not really returning a lot on my investment. How do I get away from just being happy about a thousand likes to connecting so that I'm really getting some, some end results for both me and my customer? Absolutely. So content's great. The right content at the right time is really important, but share that more personally. Find one of your buyers who has said that they have a problem and share some content, even if it's not yours, that actually solves that problem. And focus on the connection. So, for instance, if you're in financial services and you're you're working with them and you know that you have some financial advisors in your market, 
you can then say, oh, look, hey, I noticed that somebody just changed jobs. Perhaps they're going to be a good person you might want to reach out to for a 401k rollover, for an investment. They might be someone that you pick up the phone and you call, but you have to focus on the connection. Content is not enough anymore. Nobody's searching for content. We're overwhelmed by content. We're looking for more connection. And then pay attention. When people talk to you, you want to make sure that you're talking back to them. So again, if it's your birthday, change the channel. Pick up the phone. I always talk about how connection starts with happy birthday. (laughs) Today, for instance, I have friends that it's their birthday. I have customers that it's their birthday. I'm going to pick up the phone and not just post on Facebook. This year for my birthday, I got almost a thousand people that posted on my wall. Happy, happy birthday. birthday. Yippee skippy. <laughs> Nobody cares. 15 telephone calls, seven singing telegrams. Who am I going to remember? And how are you going to be memorable? I mean, that's the real question. What are you going to do that's going to help them stand out? Now you might say, well, holy cow, that's, that's so much time. Here's the thing. You pick up the phone, you say, Hey, I see that it's your birthday. I know you're probably really busy. I just want to wish you a happy birthday. Have a great day. Or leave a voicemail. Go ahead. Make a personal connection that's going to stand out from everybody else. Don't be like everyone else. That makes a difference. And how do you feel about outsourcing? So outsourcing, I think you can outsource content. So you can have someone that goes through, does a great catalog of all of your content. Make sure that you're using the right hashtags. Make sure even they research, find out where your buyers are. Absolutely outsource that. But connection is not outsourceable. You'd never give someone else your platform. Why would you ever give someone else the ability to connect on your behalf? Because here's what happens. Imagine that yesterday it was someone's birthday. And it probably is in your network. You wish them a happy birthday or you have this outsourced person. Wish them a happy birthday. And today you're speaking at an event and they come up and they say, hey, thanks so much for that birthday wish. (laughs) And you're and you're Uh, just you have that scared look on your face like you're welcome. (laughs) Uh, And now you're everything you say on the platform. You're a fraud. There's no trust because you said that it was you who wished them a happy birthday. And you don't even go on the platform. So outsource that content, but don't outsource connection. So the average working speaker is busy. Travel, customer interaction, speaking, training, whatever they're doing. And it just seems so overwhelming to think about. So we use the tools to automate it, to kind of set it, forget it. And yet it's not returning. It's not making the connection that you're talking about. So what could we do to find some balance Balance matters 30 minutes, 15 minutes, and think about three things. First, everyone who talks to you, respond to. Whether it's just a little wink, whether it's thank you, whether it's a favorite, whether it's a like, and don't automate that. Do it yourself because likely that's going to start a conversation. Could be a buying conversation. Could just be an interest conversation. Could be a referral conversation. But make that connection first. So that's 10 minutes maybe responding. If nobody's responding, you'd move on to the next one. And that is make one new connection. One new connection. Do a search. Find out where they are. And really connect. If you're going to invite them to LinkedIn, make a personal invitation. If you're going to friend them on Facebook and they say yes right away, post on their wall. Get personal. If you're going to follow them on Twitter, mention them. Share some of their content. Get engaged. Again, don't automate that. And then last but not least, if 
you have any time left, share a piece <laughs> or two of your content. Share your own stuff, but don't just share, hey, here's a great article I just wrote. Instead, think about what in that article can actually be used to add value to folks' lives. So think in terms of a hundred characters. What is going to happen in a hundred characters that's going to add value to folks' lives? And then a link to go deeper. It's not about being in every channel either. That is something that worries some people. Like, I have to be in Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Pinterest. Absolutely. Where is the place to be? Yeah. The answer is everywhere and nowhere. And by that, I mean <laughs> do your homework. Do some searching. See where your buyers are. LinkedIn is great for business to business. Twitter is great for business to consumer. Facebook is fantastic for audience uh, development as a human, not so much as a page anymore because people might have liked your page. But unless you're able to post epic stuff that's incredibly viral and timely right now, it's not showing up because think of that as the front page of USA Today. Think of that as the front page of your newspaper. That's what has to engage. And frankly, you might write one of those articles a day. But these folks like BuzzFeed, they've got time to write hundreds of those articles a day. You're never going to compete with that. So instead, flip that over. Maybe you've got a great newsletter. That's a great way to go. Drive people there because then you have permission. It's not about having 100 million people that like your page or 10,000 people that follow you on Twitter. It's about finding 150, 200 buyers that actually can do business with you on whatever platform it is. So I know I didn't get specific on what platform, but that's on purpose. You can't be specific. I don't know your audience. And unless you do, you can't be at all effective in what you're doing in social selling. You just helped me clarify some things for me in my business when you said 150 buyers. The, the tools are for me to have the conversation with the people I can help and that will in turn build my business as well, not the casting of a message to thousands upon thousands. That's right. That's yeah. the connection. Yeah. So it's about return on investment. How much time and money and talent are you investing? Not return on ego. How big your numbers are. How many people are following you? How many people are liking you? I have clients that I work with that have less than 500 people that follow them on Twitter. But every message they send is absolutely vital because most of the messages that they send they're the only person they follow. They follow three people, five people, ten people. So instead of the massivity of Twitter of 350 million people, and holy cow, they're all posting 10 to 20 times a day, and my gosh, that's 40 billion messages. They follow ten people that post ten times a day, and it's 100 messages, and yours are standing out because you're the only ones that are relevant. That's really the key because you want to be relevant. You want to cut through the crap, and you want to focus on human interaction and human connection, not just about pumping content. Thank you, Phil, for teaching us that it's about building relationships. And it's about changing the language to get more business. Thank you. My pleasure. Speakers are always looking for a new way to create revenue, especially in times um, that get tough. And sometimes public seminar business is not an easy place to play, especially in the last few years during the economy, the impact of the economies. And yet we've got somebody in the studio with us who's 
found a new approach. And so we want to talk with John Palumbo about his public seminar business and the partnership he created to make that happen. Welcome. Thank you. Good morning. Thank you for being here. And those options and possibilities, because the one that is working for him is not the one that he found first. That's right. A lot of different options to get to this one. How was that process? You mentioned that you were starving. It was the business wasn't doing very well years ago, and you start being creative with a couple of friends. Well, I think all of us were hurting from as speakers. Not that we were starving; it was just <laughs> close to starving. <laughs> not literally, <laughs> right? Not literally, but it was close, and we realized that there were. There weren't a lot of options out there to uh, get speaking because companies just weren't paying it. They were cutting back on expenses. So we examined a different model. Uh, I think we actually started, we heard uh, a VOE program uh, with the Speakers Association about some speakers in Australia that had sort of teamed up. And we said we should team up and we should offer something different. And the reason that we were experimenting with it was because we each had a different discipline. And one of us did sales, one of us did marketing, and one of us did digital uh, and social media, which gave us three different disciplines. And we we tried to determine, was it a full day? Was it a half day? Was it two-day programs and charge several thousand dollars? And we finally, after some experiments and after some time of researching it, discovered that our click was to do a half-day program, offer from 9 to 12, and one speaker, one hour each, and that became our basic model that we began to offer. And um, it was a good time frame. It allowed people to come in in the mornings, be back into their uh, working situations by you know lunchtime, very little time out of work. And employers liked it. Uh, we began to market mostly, when we say public, we were doing mostly through associations because they have the means, they have the people that are necessary to really pull in the numbers. So that was that was the initial model that we began to work with. And the the model also took a little twist, if I remember correctly. It wasn't the standard public seminar model. You didn't just have a business seminar. You created a show. We created a show. You know, I sort of got tired of watching, and I felt like a lot of people were tired of watching the old one guy or one woman that would come in, speak for an hour, hour and a half, and leave. We wanted to offer speed. We wanted to offer diversity. We wanted to offer something that was unique. We wanted something that would be like a great NSA program. Uh We wanted music. We wanted outfits. We wanted to be rock stars. And that's really what we started with. And we called the program Rock Your Sales. And we were uh, performing slash speaking primarily for sales and marketing professionals. And so the title was cool at the time. People were looking for something different, and we marketed on all our marketing pieces three people, two women, one man. Mm-hmm. I just felt like, and so did the other team members, it was a great combination, uh, a unique one, because some people want to hear a man, some people want to hear a woman, some people want to hear both. They all come for content, and we were able to deliver to something to hit every target of that audience. Well, now, who were your partners? Well, that would be Melinda Brody. Yes. And Meredith Oliver, both members of NSA. Yes. 
and we had been coming to NSA for a few years, so we we understood some of the things that it took. I would probably be the geek of the group because I said we we need music, and I had the money invested in sound equipment, all the audio cords, microphones, how to plug in, and we would get there and go in the night before. I mean, this was not a typical walk-in speak. We would go in the night before, set up sound systems, set up computers. We had the rooms set up for grand entrances, and you know the music would be playing prior to us coming on, and then the music would introduce us and exit us. And this happened like 15 years after you had been speaking in that different way, different world. So this was out of your comfort zone some way, somehow, this, this new format? The speaking part was not out of our comfort not zone, speaking, but, but speaking with each other. You know, we had to learn one thing, and we learned it quick, probably out of the survival mode, was to lose our egos. Uh, as speakers, you know, we want to take the stage, we want to come off, and we want everyone to come to us. One speaker, we're passing out hundreds of cards. We now had three speakers, and each one of us was a rock star in our own discipline. Right. And so we learned to share the limelight with each other. I think that was probably one of our biggest secrets was that we realized that one plus one plus one equaled five for us. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just losing the ego and allowing us to work with each other and stay together for the years that we, we have stayed together, which is over six years now. That's excellent. Now, you said something about associations. You really began to target to those associations because they had they had the database. They had the membership to reach for the market to get them into the public event. What is your approach to those association uh, leaders and decision makers to even want to work with you? We felt like the reason they wanted to work with us, we were not the typical one speaker come in, deliver one idea, one concept. We were now three speakers. We were now more than a speaker. We were a show. We were an event. We marketed our product as an event. It's the event of the year. It's the marketing event of the year. It's the sales and marketing event of the year. And so it was more than just come here Joe Smith speak, you know, blah, 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 blah. And there was our secret. We knew that they had the names. We just needed to partner with them in order to get out there and bring more people into programs. And yet a lot of association directors and uh, program directors are a little resistant to just take any call because they're approached all the time by people who want to come and just talk or sell their product. Uh, You positioned it a little bit differently. What was it that got those individuals, those decision makers, to say, yes, I like the show idea, but let's let's even open up our, our marketing to our people so that we can get them in there? Well, all associations are looking for great speakers and great content. Their associations will dwindle and die without them. And so... But where they lose the touch is they're always trying to get speakers to come in for free or for no fees whatsoever or, you know, this is a great audience, so you'll, you know, you'll benefit from it. And we understand that. We had a different model because we were selling our services. We were three individual speakers that had three individual speaking disciplines, training disciplines, consulting disciplines that we offered. So for us, behind the scenes, this was a one-hour infomercial for each one of us when we would get in to speak with these organizations. The fact that we brought three speakers to the table turned it into an event, not just come here, this speaker. And with that, it allowed us to offer them something they had not had before. 
All associations are interested in in killer education programs, and we were bringing more than education. We were bringing entertainment and education uh, in the, how do they call that, edutainment world. <laughs> and so, you know, we dressed like rock stars. We performed like rock stars. We acted like rock stars, not in a crazy sense, but in a very professional sense. They felt like we were celebrities while we were there. And we acted like celebrities. You know, we signed books. We signed autographs. They would take pictures with us. And they would post them on their social media. And we would grab them for future social media so it would build from there. It was not so much about what was happening there. It was always about the next event, the next event, and building the social media from there. And that's something fresh also for them to get new members. Totally. Uh, they're attracting new members. So the members want to see that they had fun, that they had an event. And you use... Use sponsorships as another way to help the association. Uh, tell us a little bit more about the approach in regards to that. It didn't always start off that way. Okay. <laughs> Because they wanted yes. members to be a sponsor. Yes, and in the early days when we first started this and when we were experimenting, and I don't mind saying flying by the seat of our pants, nobody just walks out to reach what we're doing now and just says, oh, yeah, we woke up this morning and we had the idea. We were doing fees only. We were just to get our expenses paid. That's what allowed us to begin the catapulting that, that took us where we are now. Yes. But uh, And then from there we went to flat fees. We began charging a little more than expenses. And then it, it cha as we got better and bigger and our shows were getting better and bigger, we could charge more and more and more. But we reached a point that we realized we were starting to get resistance because our fees were getting up there, but we felt like we needed to be paid more. That's where sponsorship was mm -hmm. born. Not that it was new. It was born for us. And we began to look at they could bring their own sponsors and pay our, our higher fees, or we would bring our sponsors. Now, there was higher risk in us taking on the sponsorship role, but there also was a chance for higher rewards. And we, we experienced both. For some shows and performances, we didn't get a lot of sponsorship. We made it look like it was a lot of sponsorship, but financially it wasn't there for us. And others, we hit home runs out of the ballpark. We had great sponsors. They paid us nice fees. We walked away at the end of the day just grinning. Each of us got separate bookings. Uh, each of us sold our books and our audio programs, and there were just some programs that were just knocked out of the ballpark with sponsorship and everything that we brought to the table. And it was like it took time, but, yes, it was born. And something else, every time after each show, you were doing a debrief. So that allowed you to be better, maximize those booking sales. Exactly. The debriefing was probably the secret to our success. Uh, Meredith Oliver, Melinda Brody, and myself, after each program, we would, you know, when people would want to go with us to lunch or whatever, we just said, we can't. We have... Um, something to do. It was very important after the show, after the speaking event, to debrief as quickly as possible. Here's something you did you shouldn't be doing. Here's something you could do better. And each of us would be honest and brutally honest with each other. And that was something you just can't get as a solo speaker. As a solo speaker, here's what you get. You're wonderful. wonderful. <laughs> You're great. God, we loved you. And you'll never grow with that. So the synergism with the three of us, like I said, one plus one plus one equaled five. And that's what m myself and my partners gave to each other. Wonderful. Well, thank you for spending a little time with us looking at public seminars in a different way. My thank pleasure. You. My pleasure.
from the corporate world to some time at home with the child, then in 1993 started working with NSA speaker Shep Hyken. And over a number of years, other speakers started saying, hey, I'd like to have lunch with you to pick your brain. And in 1998, she thought to herself, wouldn't it make sense to start her own business? And she did. Book More Business is the name of her business. And with us, Lois Kramer. Welcome, and thank you for being here with us at VOE. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. What's the secret to taking our success as speakers to the next level? Do you have a a tip for us? (laughs) Well, if I didn't have a tip, I'd probably be out of business. (laughs) um, I think, uh, and I think my thoughts, Stephen, right now are going to go towards the more established speaker, Mm -hmm. if I may. Um, My sense has been one of the mistakes that a lot of veterans make is that they don't really leverage the success that they already have. And I'm hoping that, that... Advanced speakers have a target industry and market within that industry. And I always recommend that's the way to go. But when you do, it does allow you to create a momentum for your business, especially when I'm talking about leveraging. And by that I mean, what more can you do for a client besides stand on a stage and speak? Um, It used to be that that was enough to have a business, a speaking practice. And that is no longer the case. You cannot make a living, really, in this business by just speaking. And so how do we turn that speech into more work and more money and more value for the client, a deeper relationship? And we are not talking about necessarily products. It's not books. It's not... Is relationships and it's more money. How do you do it? It's like that momentum. You finish your speech and they're happy and they love you and they are saying all these good things. So what do you do next instead of just going, oh, okay, bye, next? (laughs) (laughs) I think that um, a a great way to start what I call the aftercare phase, if you will. Oh, I love that, aftercare. (laughs) Um, Is to go back to your office within 48 hours. And I think that timing is important. Within 48 hours after your program, call the person who made the economic decision to bring you in. And you want to just say, hey, I just wanted to call and say thanks again for bringing me in. I had a great time. I wanted to make sure the feedback was positive. You might want to ask for a testimonial if they could put down some of that feedback. You'd love it. Um, You might want to ask if they know anyone else who uses someone like you. An important follow-up question if you're speaking with a corporation is, are you a member of an association? So this is a thank you call that has a system and some steps and specific questions. It's not just thank you, being polite, (laughs) nice to meet you. You just mentioned two or three specific phrases. Yes. Okay. And then that last one that you mentioned, do you know somebody else in an association? Yes. And, you know, association work is such great work for speakers. The reality is it's getting more competitive every year. Mm -hmm. The field is bigger every year. How can you create a competitive advantage for yourself to get in front of that committee on the national level who makes a decision? And lots of times, um, and by the way, most corporations will be a member of an association, Mm -hmm. many, several. Right. And what you want to say is, 
I know you thought my program was meaningful. Is there any way you could help get my name on the table to be considered for a program at your association? Now, my sense is that they should be happy to do it if they're happy with your job. Mm-hmm. Uh, because uh, people don't want to pick somebody that they don't know and, and have it be a big crapshoot and hope they're okay. <laughs> <laughs> so somebody who has performed well, uh, I think, would get an inside edge. So we want to ask for that. We do. So one one direction to go with that aftercare call is where can we go next? How yes. can we partner? Is there another way to leverage that after call, the aftercare call, to go a little deeper with the client you already have? They they love you now because you've already brought what you promised, but now we want to create some accountability or deeper level of of partnership. There is, and this is really um, we're going into the part that I really call the hardcore aftercare, if you will. To me, we need to look at ways that we can go a little bit deeper with this client by asking another couple of questions. And I have what I call a phrase that pays, that's worked really well for my clients. And the phrase is, do you think it would make sense? And the way I would use it would be, do you think it would make sense for us to take a next step together to add an element of accountability to make sure that the tips and tactics and ideas that I suggested in my program are actually going to be applied. Because if you do think that makes sense, we could make that happen in a number of ways. Now, when I did sales programs, I always said specifically, do you think it would make sense for me to work with your sales managers to make sure that the sales team is implementing the things that I suggested. Now, that's a hard no. That that would be hard for somebody to say, no, it makes no Mm -hmm. sense. We spent thousands of dollars to bring you in, but we don't really care if it's applied. Um, I don't think you're going to run into that. (laughs) Uh, But regardless of what your topic is, how can you bring... how can you make your information totally up to apply and applicable to that client? So it may be working with the leadership, the executive team, um, to to uh, get this information to the next level, to the application phase. And uh, now we have... Uh, the world is an oyster as far as how we can do that kind of thing. We can do a teleseminar, which is something that still works really well, but now we have other options. We can Skype. This is just, we don't have to get on a plane and go there and do, do something in person, though you may if you want. Um, you can Skype. You can do a Google Hangout. And remember, those can be taped. So if part of their team can't be there, they can have the tape and be able to use it. Um, and besides that, you can do uh, in, you can do consulting with individual members. Maybe maybe at this point, it's called coaching them uh-huh. into applying the information one on one. But I think it's a matter of you thinking about that client. You should know how they work, what their business is. Obviously, the advantage of target marketing is knowing a lot about how that industry does things. And so I think this will help you decide on the suggestions that you want to make for the aftercare. Is this a mistake that speakers are doing by don't taking, not taking advantage of it? 
Um, it's just 24 hours. Thank you, call, follow up, leverage, do it, accountability. Are we missing that opportunity by not doing it? You work with a lot of speakers. Are you seeing it very often, that mistake? Or which uh, one is the number one mistake if it's not that? You know, I did a teleseminar um, for Patricia Fripp. And she said, I, what I'd like to ask you is, what's the biggest mistake speakers make? And I said, ask me the question, put your feet up. <laughs> because, what is the biggest mistake? <laughs> because, um, and by the way, Patricia always likes to, to introduce me as Lois Bookmore Business Karema. <laughs> and I said, the biggest mistake speakers make at any level, and interestingly enough, a lot of veterans do this, is that they they give the speech and then they just call a few months later to remind them, is it time to bring me back? And I, I am amazed by that. And I think especially now when there are so many ways that we can uh, utilize our expertise for that client without having to fly in there and without having them to pay expenses again that make a lot of sense. And I think that people don't do it. Sometimes... You overschedule yourself and you feel like you don't have an opportunity. I'm saying that what you need to try and do is to not overschedule yourself and try my option. Because I think if you do, you're going to find that your speech turned into a paid showcase and you were paid very well for the aftercare. And so I think it's something that a lot of people don't uh, take advantage of, yes. Thank you very much, Louise. This is wonderful information. And answering to the phrase that pays, it makes sense. It does make sense. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Speakers have a different situation than the average taxpayer. Steve Hoffman, a tax expert, is going to answer the most common speaker questions and simplify what we can and cannot do. Taxes, taxes, taxes. And it doesn't have to be April or any other month. It could be all the time. It should be all the time. We are here with Steve Hoffman, the tax translator, and we have many, many questions. Thank you for being here with us today. My pleasure. And I'm so glad you said that because taxes are a year-round event. They are not an annual event. You need to look at taxes at least once a quarter, once a month, once a week, every day. And not only in the convention when people look at you in the hallway and say, oh, I have a question. Can I deduct my clothing? That is the question that you have answered many, many times. Many, many times. <laughs> it, it keeps. It's a reoccurring question. Uh, people say, can I deduct my clothing? Steve, I have a tuxedo or I have a St. John uh, lady suit. Very nice, very expensive. And I only wear it on stage. And the answer is no, you cannot deduct that. Uh, Any clothing that can be worn on the street is considered more of a personal nature than it is an ordinary and necessary business expense. So even if that's the only place you wear is, is when you're making a presentation, nowhere else, it's still, if it can be worn on the street in the eyes of the IRS, is not a deductible expense. That contrast with a costume. Uh, such as you might see Madonna or Lady Gaga wear. Probably not something you would see on the street normally. 
costumes differ from ordinary clothes, and that clothing expense is not deductible. Um, secondary questions I get about that are, well, um, makeup. I, makeup, hair, uh, nails, manicures, uh, health clubs. How about my massage after a really tough speech? <laughs> I know you really give 100%, Stephen, every time. Oh, it's exhausting. I'm sorry. Uh, massages? No? No, that, that's not an ordinary. It's, again, it's more do derive some pleasure from that. So, again, it's more of a, a personal nature than an ordinary and necessary business expense in our line of business. You used a term a moment ago. Ordinary and necessary business expense. So we've determined massages, makeup, all of those things would not be considered ordinary and necessary. But what things could we consider then? Obviously, um, any expense you have for business that's ordinary and necessary for your line of business because it differs for everybody else's. Um, for instance, if you're coming to convention, your your airfare, your hotel, your tips, your taxi, uh, your advertising, your computer, your printer, your fax machine, your office supplies, your advertising, uh, if you do advertise, uh, your marketing efforts. I have a newsletter that goes out through Constant Contact, so that's a that's a marketing effort, uh, fully fully deductible. I consider that ordinary and necessary as a way to. Business meetings, meals. Mm -hmm. Meals. I'm glad you brought that up. Now, if you're entertaining a client, okay, and you document the purpose of the meeting and who was there and what was discussed and the date, and it is related to your business, you're you're trying to convince somebody to hire you you, and you take them out to lunch, uh, fully deductible business expense. Now, meals on the road... However, like when I'm here at convention, so I'm I'm going to eat, but the IRS limits that to a 50% deduction because they figure you got to eat anyway. Anyways. Yeah. How important is to document? I write on every receipt that I have, uh, NSA, DC, uh, the date, uh, who I had there, and we talked, and this and that. So um, every I I just write it on, and I'm. A finance person by nature, so uh, I keep track of all that very closely. And for uh, how many years should we keep those receipts? You know, some people say four years, uh, because the IRS can audit back three years plus the current years. I'm a real big fan of seven years. And if you use your automobile in your business, and you if it's an item upon which you can claim depreciation, you need to keep it for as long as you have that asset. So, Steve... Write it down, write it down, write it down. Absolutely. <laughs> keep it available. And I happen to keep my records in my home office. Tell me what I can do in regards to the IRS and my home office. Uh, the IRS announced uh, about a year and a half, two years ago now, what they called the Simplified Home Office Deduction. And it's the first time I ever saw the IRS come out and, and talk about something being simplified. And it truly was simplified. The Simplified Home Office Deduction allows you to deduct $5 per square foot up to 300 square feet for a home office or a $1,500 a year deduction. And all you have to do is write it on the line and, of course, have the home office. Now, if your office is larger than that, the the old method still exists, the old-fashioned way. You can take the square footage of your house, if you had a 2,000-square-foot house, and 1,000 square feet of it was used for your for your office you could take half of your real estate uh, taxes half your insurance half your utilities but you, you you have to go through that calculation every year with the simplified method it's it really is as simple as I 
I know my office is bigger than 300 square feet times five, so that's $1,500 deduction. The other thing I want to mention is um, don't forget to include if you have storage space, if you have books or tapes or CDs or marketing materials in the garage or in the basement, that square footage counts toward that 300 square foot. That's good. So the boxes that still have eight tracks and video cassettes, I could still count that square footage. Right, before the hair turned gray. Okay. Right. <laughs> and speaking about books and, DVD and CDs and DVDs, sales taxes and... If you are a speaker and you have backroom sales, product sales, states are becoming much more aggressive in the collection of sales tax. They're all uh, seeking revenue as much as they possibly can, just like any other business. But they do have sales tax auditors who will go to hotels and look at the list of conventions and see who presented and find out if items were sold. Uh, so if you sell something in a state that has sales tax... There are 44 states that do. Technically, you are required to collect that sales tax and send it to that state department's uh, Department of Revenue. Now, there are some states that offer a, uh, a one-day exemption. So if you are a speaker and you're only going to be there one day and you have backroom product sales, in advance, if you um, request that uh, exemption from sales tax, you stand a good chance of getting that. In other states, if you sell something, not only do you have to pay sales tax, but you may also be required to obtain and pay for a vendor's license. So there's a, you need to find out about each state that you're going into about the sales tax. And in addition to state sales tax, there's going to be some... Some question in regards to the income. income earned. Yes, that would be on your net income, not your gross. So if you make whatever it is you charge, I know we can't talk about it, <laughs> uh, but you have expenses against that. In a hypothetical, say you're a $10,000 fee and you spend $5,000 uh, in expenses, so you netted $5,000 in that state. States feel if you earn money in their state, you owe money income tax on the money you earned in their state. Enforcement agencies, taxation agencies are becoming much more sophisticated with computers. They are exchanging information now between each other. The loopholes are closing rapidly. So I, I would, you know, if you want to stay on the up and up and go to sleep at night, um, it's important to look at uh, state income tax and state sales tax. Thank you very much, Steve. Thank you. On average, 700 association meetings happen every day in the United States. Are you getting in on any of that business? If not, it could be that you have the wrong approach. Ed Rigsby will share techniques on how to open the association backdoor. Ed Rigsby, CSP, CAE. Pretty cool. We're glad that you're part of VOE, and the reason we wanted to talk with you is because you're known as the expert in trade associations, and you know some things the rest of us don't know. What is it we don't know? Well, to add to the alphabet soup would be ROI, and ROI is return on investment. Um, trade associations right now, that's a real important thing for their members, and because of the fact that that I work with a lot of associations on that, it gives me a, a very different insight. And part of that insight to help speakers is really understanding the association world. And us speakers want to be special and different and important, and we don't want to pigeonhole ourselves. However, for the association market, you kind of have to, because 
they're not necessarily always looking for the best speaker. They're looking for the safe speaker. And because if a meeting planner does a really, really good job, maybe one person might say, oh, thank you. But if they mess up, they're going to get fired. So in, in looking at that, we want to help our position ourselves. And this is the area where so many of the speakers just don't get it. It's too bad. We have to position ourselves to, number one, fit into a category like a marketing speaker or a PR speaker, an employee uh, relations or supervision or leadership, you know, the different basic categories. And within that category, we have to find our special uniqueness. And and too many speakers are so focused on the special uniqueness, but forget about making it work into a category, into an umbrella. And, and I find that um, so many speakers I've worked with and talked to that this is 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 one of the it's their it's their biggest challenge. Why is it their biggest challenge? Well, because I mean, you know, I've been an NSA member for what twenty eight years or something, and we all came here to save the world. And um, <laughs> and you Wait, know, haven't we? <laughs> yeah, I mean, when I got when I got into NSA, I was going to be a, a motivational speaker. My first uh, logo was breakthrough, and, uh, and then I decided that content would be a better approach. But mm. and, you know, putting that aside, I, I think what happens is we come with something that that we care about, that we're passionate about, that we believe in, something we have expertise in, and we want to push the feature, but we forget about the benefit of the feature, and so. In the association market, you know, yes, there, there, a, a feature is, you know, which category, and we've got to fit in the category, but then what's the benefit? So we have to turn it around to, to understand, I'm a speaker on leadership. Okay, well, there are 7,432 others uh, that just belong to NSA, but, but how am I special within that category? And, and that's the key, is understanding how to make it easy and safe for an association planner to book you and how to make yourself special and different within that category so you rise to the top and show up differently. That's the secret. And you become the right speaker, not only the safe speaker, but the right one for that one association because yes. there are thousands yes. of associations also. Yes. Oh, there's, um, yeah, you know, there's only about, uh, in the United States, only about 100,000 associations. When only look, about. That's about. 100,000. Yeah, well, when we look at, when we look at, um, uh, international associations, national associations, regional associations, state associations, and local associations. For instance, here in D.C., um, NAW, National Association of Wholesale Distributors, they've got about, oh, between around 250 member associations. Uh, guys, go ahead. Go market to them. You know, help yourself. Here, there's a lead for you. Um, when we start looking and expanding out, uh, I'll give me another one. Uh, uh, in Bethesda, National Electrical Contractors, they have, I think, uh, 300 chapters around the country. So when you start looking and people understand why are there 700 meetings in the United States every day? 700 association meetings every, every day. day. Hmm. Every day. And and so when we start looking at the sheer numbers, if if you're a speaker that either has a staff person to do it for you or you're willing to do it yourself to understand how to pick up the phone and, and make a sales call, the meetings are there. The organizations are there. They're either going to bring in a freebie industry speaker or if you listening to this right now can figure out how you're special and different, you can convince them that they should pay you. And I said pay you, not free, pay you. We are professionals. One more time, pay you. That that's the key. There is enough business out there. And it's not about calling uh, and offering your services as a speaker. It's a back door open 
for us to do it in a different way. Yes. Let's talk about that, that yes. how to use that backdoor. My favorite. When I got into speaking, I started uh, writing articles. It was just, uh, it just happened and with the associations. And quickly I figured out that uh, it was a lot easier to get booked when you've written an article and, and built relationships with the editors. Well, fast forward to today. And you look at what speakers can do. A lot of us in this business, we want to speak, we don't want to sell. Unfortunately, that's not our life. So, But if we don't sell, we fail. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah right. absolutely. So with that in mind, what we want to do is let's take an easier route. Instead of trying to beat our head through the brick wall, let's find the soft underbelly. Well, the soft underbelly in associations is going in through the editors. So a meeting planner, and a lot of meeting planners I know in associations, they say they get a couple hundred calls a day from speakers. I mean, you can't even get through to them anymore. However, the editors get very, very few calls. So if you write articles about your expertise, hopefully you have a book, uh, you know, articles adapted from your book. Uh, we could talk about that another time. But if you have a half a dozen of these on your website to start, I've got probably a couple hundred on my website, and you, you call up six to start with. Right? I mean, half a dozen to start. I mean, you know, that, that, then, then you're credible. And you, you call up the editor, and you say, Hi, my name is Ed Rigsby, um, and I've got two topics, uh, strategic alliances and how to uh, recruit members through proving the ROI of membership. Depends on whichever one I want to talk to them about. And I say, hi, my name is Ed Rigsby. Uh, I've uh, got several articles adapted from my books on strategic alliances uh, uploaded to my website, and I think you might find these to be very helpful to your members. And I talk to them about you know, their members' challenges, this, that, and the other, and I want to make these available. And, and ask him questions about what they're dealing with. And they tell me, oh, well, our members have this problem. Oh, well, you know, why don't you go to the web? And they're already at, at my website anyway when I'm talking to them. And I, I suggest the article. Here's an article I think you'll find very valuable. And then, oh, by the way, um, you know, why don't you bookmark this page because you have access to these articles 24-7. You can get them anytime you need it. And I will always joke with the editor saying, just in case anybody flakes out. And I go, that doesn't <laughs> happen. They kind of laugh, no, not since yesterday. And, <laughs> and, and then on my website, it gives permission to edit because uh, editors just make us speakers look smarter than we are. And, um, and that way, if, if they're in a hurry, they can go to my website, they can grab it, they can take it, and, and they don't have to check with me. So I talked to them about that try to build a relationship with them, make relationship bank deposits. In all my books, I say make relationship bank deposits before you try to make relationship bank withdrawals. So by building the relationship with the editor, then at, right before I leave, kind of the doorknob close, oh, by the way, before I let you go, let me just ask you one last question. Oh, what's that? They're disarmed. They're relaxed. Mm -hmm. They're in good mood. And you right. already gave them. And I've already given them. And I, and I say, well, could you tell me, please, who is the, uh, the, the decision maker for your meetings? And a lot of times you'll hear, well, you know, Sally Jones is our meeting planner. I go, well, does Sally make the decisions on speakers or is that somebody else? Oh, well, no, that's uh, John Williamson. He's our executive director. Oh, okay. Well, could you do me a favor and just connect me with uh, John? Nine out of ten times. Oh, yeah, sure. Get into there. And then I, uh, if I either talk to John or leave a voicemail, if I talk to him, hey, John, my name's Ed Riggs. I was just talking with Sally, your editor. Gave her a, a few articles adapted from my books. She found them very uh, valuable in these areas to help your members with such and such. And is that a current problem? Because oh, yeah. And I go, would you take a minute and just kind of tell me your process for selecting speakers? I don't say book me. I say, tell me your process. And it's an open-ended question. And they usually will give you the information of, oh, you know, your timing's perfect. We, we could talk now. Or, you know, hey, call, call me in seven months. Or call me whatever. And a lot of speakers, when they try to sell, 
they never get to the decision maker. They're still trying to right. take the, the, the gatekeeper, the meeting planner that isn't the decision maker. They're spending all the time trying to get to them. And it's like, well, that's not the best use of our time. So my recommendation, go in the back door. It's just an easier sell. So the article and the resources you've provided has already now positioned you as credible. Yes. To their association. Well, the, also, because the article is adapted from the books. Um, I look at my books or just my marketing piece. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, it, it's uh, you go in, you got credibility, and it, it, but you know, it's about it's about understanding them and solving their problems because they don't care about you and I. They they don't, and, and it's not mean to be rude or anything. It's just they don't. They care about them and their needs, and, and and if I can help them solve some problems, then I'm top of the list. And it's about finding that one, two, or three that we can help. Also, not finding all the associations pretending we are going to solve the problems of every single association because it's important for to for us to find that category or that few associations to start with. Yeah, I mean, it, it, the easy way to do that, uh, most of us speakers know about the NTPA, National Trade and Professional Association directory. I tell people, go on Amazon, buy a used one. <laughs> um, you know, it's, yeah, buy a used one. And so what if it's three years old? Who cares? And in, in that book, there is a directory of, of, of categories, and there's uh, about 400 categories of associations listed in the book. So sure, yeah, the smart move is, you know, get the book, go through the categories, okay, which which one is good for me to start? Now, in that category, there could be 30 associations, there could be 300. So, you know, pick something, and especially for if you're newer in the business, I mean, save, save your life. If, you, if you're newer in the business, what you're going to want to do is just pick one category and work it, work it, work it. If you try to pick 17, you know, categories, eh, it's not going to happen. So, wonderful information. Thank you very much, Ed. Yes, thank you. Thanks for having me. I had a really great time with you. Now a presidential conversation with Ruby Newell Legner. Ruby, in this edition of VOE, we've been focusing in on marketing, and you serve a very specific market of sports, leisure, and entertainment venues. And you call yourself a fan experience expert. How did that come about? You know, the beginning of my speaking career focused on teaching recreation professionals all the lessons that I'd learned in 20 years as a recreation facility manager. And the majority of my programs, they were focused on customer service. You know, I soon found out that there's a thousand different speakers out there focusing on customer service. So I wanted to find something that would differentiate me so that I could stand out from the crowd. And then a magical thing happened. In 2001, my mentor from NSA, Tom Durth, he invited me to help him do training for the Denver Broncos football team. They were building a brand new stadium, and so I had the opportunity to work side-by-side side with him to create the service culture for the new Invesco field at Mile High. Then the other team started visiting to see how cool the venue was, and they saw what a great experience that we had created for every guest who was attending the games. So the Buffalo Bills, they came and watched what I was doing, and they told the Indianapolis Colts, and then the Colts told the Pittsburgh Steelers. And before I knew it, I had all these football teams who were asking me to do customer service training. It was great. I loved it. Then I got invited to this wonderful association meeting that had just sports teams there, and I found out about the basketball leagues and the hockey leagues and the baseball leagues. So, (laughs) oh, my gosh. 
fast forward, you know, 14 years later, and I still specialize in that market. That was a defining moment for my career when I really found out how I could specialize in something and really stand out from the crowd. I look back and man, that really made such a huge difference for me be able to showcase some expertise into a, a field that nobody else was doing. So it really made me the expert. You know, now I have 28 professional sports teams and at least 100 facilities that I've done training for. And I love helping all the leaders really turn the customers into fans. So that's how I became that fan experience expert. Uh, when you spoke for our Central Florida chapter, you shared a great concept that has a lot to do for, uh, with what you are explaining right now. And it was picking a highway and choosing a lane to become an expert in each field, in our field. Tell us more about that, Ruby. You know, the deeper I got into sports and entertainment, the more I it turned into those long-term contracts. And I really learned about really specializing in something. So the concept to me came about the highway and the lane. And the highway represents that core expertise, you know, that's that overarching uh, picture of, of what you own in the market. For me, that was customer service. And then that lane represents a real specialized niche, you know, an industry that I serve that really helps me be the expert in customer service in this little tiny area. So when someone's looking for customer service in sports and entertainment, I stand out as the person that they want to higher, you know, and that, that means that I work with everybody in the building in sports. So that could be an amusement park. It could be a water park. It could be, um, uh, one of the, the football, football venues, basketball venues. And I go in and I work with the executives and help them create those customer centric decisions. I, I work with middle managers to help them treat their staff like the great employees that they should. And then I work with the front line to make sure everybody in the venue knows what customer service is and how to really create that fan experience. It really made a big difference when I narrowed down the highway and then really focused on a specific lane in that highway. So I, I think it's something that we can all use when we're really trying to stand out in the crowd. For those of you listening on the, on this recording, I encourage you to think about what sets you apart. You know, maybe you can use the highway and the lane to really identify that. What is your highway? What's your area of expertise that you want to be known for? And then what is your lane? What market can you own that nobody else does as good as you? That makes more sense than trying to be everything for everyone. Oh, it sure does. It sure does. You know, there's so many of us speakers who are on the highway, but we're caught in the traffic jam. And what you've just <laughs> defined for us is that there is a way to get into the fast lane. Thank you, Ruby. Thank you. If you are a CSP CPAE, you don't want to miss this year's summit, April 15 to 17, at the Broadmoor in Colorado Springs, Colorado. The future of face-to-face -face meetings is changing, and professional speakers, we may be impacted. Are you positioning yourself to be in front of some of those trends? Have you considered exploring new ways to monetize your expertise to meet the needs of today's audience? Those subjects and many more thought-provoking questions are going to be discussed with like-minded peers who are committed to helping you with breakthrough ideas for your future success. And besides networking and connections, during the summit you will experience, for example, a facilitated small group, 
Mastermind Discussions, focus on helping you with breakthrough ideas will be the capstone of the weekend. This exclusive VIP event is only available for the first 75 CSPs and CPAEs. This episode of Two Sides of the Same Coin takes a look at a topic that has almost equal support on each side within our association, free or fee. Which approach is better for a successful speaking model? First up, one of our beloved international members, Alan Stevens, FPSA and PSAE. Alan is a media coach who provides individuals and organizations around the world with skills to communicate more effectively through TV, radio, and in print. We're professional speakers. We speak for a fee. We don't speak for free. But even speaking for a free is really a misnomer. That's not what it's about. When you speak apparently for free, it actually costs you a lot of money. It costs you preparation time, maybe a day or two. It costs you travel time. It costs you lost opportunity time in your business. And all of that adds up to a substantial amount of money. So saying that we speak for free is not really the case. In fact, we're charging a lot to ourselves when we speak for free. We're giving a huge amount away. And if there's no return to us for that, that's a loss to our business. So I think people need to think very, very carefully. If you're a professional speaker, you deserve to be rewarded. Everyone else who's involved with an event gets rewarded. The people who supply the security, the people who supply the catering, the people who supply the venue are all rewarded. And I think it's most unreasonable to expect the person who often provides the most value at the end of the day to turn up and speak not only for free, but in fact, put a cost into the event. So whenever I'm talking to an organizer and they ask me to speak for free, I say to them, look, this is going to cost me this much money to speak to your event. Do you think that's reasonable? And then we have a discussion about whether that's fair or not. So in summary, it's not about whether we speak for fee. It's whether we're prepared to put in a huge amount of effort to an apparently free speech for something where there may be little or no return. A professional speaker should always receive a fee. And now, sharing her thoughts on the other side of the coin is Jill Schiffelbein, known as the dynamic communicator. Jill creates and executes communication strategies that help people and companies solve problems, retain and develop employees and enhance the bottom line. Yes, speaking for free and not for a fee does have a place in the business model of a professional speaker, but that assumes that you know your own business model. You need to know your criteria and set your limits and stick to them. When I think of speaking for free, I think of a decision matrix, and I have to be able to answer yes to at least one of these three points. Number one, are there decision makers in the audience? Number two, does it fit the strategic vision for my business? Number three, will it add a significant amount of credibility to me as a speaker? If I can answer yes to one or more of those, then it is worth me speaking for free. If I can also answer yes to what I feel is the most important question, does it make me happy? If it's something that doesn't make me happy, I'm going to be spending my time, my resources, my money to get there and speak and come out of it with an unhappy feeling. And if you're going to speak for free, which I do think has a place in our business model, you have to make sure that you're prepared to leverage it afterwards. And that means having a way to capture information at the event, having a clear follow-up plan in place, and then most important, in my opinion, is to get your PR engine ready. 
If you are prepared to leverage a free appearance in multiple venues from print, magazine, radio, internet publicity, etc., then you can make this free speech work for you and your business. Well, there you have it. Two sides of the same coin, proving again there isn't a wrong way or a right way, just your way. Thanks for listening. Oh, and there's no charge today. This is Voices of Experience announcer Sam Newton. It's time to wrap up this edition with VOWE. Now your hosts, Stephen Iverson, CSP, and Pilar Ortiz. This VOE was video recorded on a sunny beach in Florida. So make sure you click the icon so you can watch the conversation with myself and Pilar. You'll also notice a little wind on the audio at the very beginning, but I'm sure you're going to enjoy the conversation. Listen in. <laughs> this is VOE, the last segment of our edition this month. That's right. And what a great edition. Lots of super guests, some really thought-provoking new perspectives, and I'm curious, thinking of new perspectives. On marketing. <laughs> yeah. How would I market, Pilar, if I wanted to begin speaking to the Hispanic market? What would I do to, to start making it happen? Do I need to learn how to speak Espanol? No necesitas hablar. No necesitas. That's a new word for me. I love it. No necesitas hablar español. You don't need to speak Spanish. That I get that um, that question a lot. It's more about the culture. And yes, marketing ourselves to different um, markets. It's about understanding that market beyond the language. Seventy-five percent of Hispanics in the United States speak English, for example. And does it mean that I prefer to do business in Spanish? Maybe, if it's good Spanish, if everything is translated correctly. But I don't need to. I can do it in English also. So if you want to reach the Hispanic community, you will be gaining between 17 and 20% of the population. That's a good number, That's a right? Great number. So That's right. maybe we are missing out if we are not reaching because we think that we need Spanish. It's beyond that, understanding those differences and that culture. So it could be that many of us are missing out on some opportunities because we've made the assumption that we wouldn't be able to speak to that particular segment of the marketplace because we don't speak the language. So you're telling me what I need to do is to begin to have a better understanding of their culture, the language we can get past. Absolutely. Absolutely. Once we do that, we are going to be to feel more comfortable. We are going to find those things that are alike, and we are going to know the differences and what to do with it. I remember doing the same for me the other way around. Mm. For me, it was a barrier not to speak perfect English. Oh, I'm not bilingual enough. And then I started to understand that... The Americans didn't really care about that because they were looking something beyond the perfect English that I thought and I had in That's my mind. Point. So I started marketing in English, and the accent, by the way, became an asset. It does. Yes, it does. Many people see our differences as the potential obstacles. But if we look past those and look at what you said just a moment ago, the things we have in common mm -hmm. and build off of that, that makes us a part of the global market, not just a single market. And now with the social media, Stephen, we are all over all the time. So we want to reach and we want to make sure that we have that target, that ideal client, that niche. But the truth is that our posts and our comments and our website, our LinkedIn account is being seen 
all over. Oh, absolutely. And that's something that I've learned just in the last year is that every time I communicate via the social media, even with the intention, the intentional marketing on social media, it's not going to just my little segment that I've planned on, my little focus. It's being seen by people all over the world. And it always amazes me when I post a picture of my barbecue <laughs> and the breakfast I'm making on the grill, how people in Abu Dhabi and Dubai and sometimes in, in Indonesia and or literally around the world, they like those pictures. It's like, well, that's great. I'm glad you like the picture, but why didn't you like the marketing piece? But, you know, again, it's not about the marketing. It's about the connection to the person. And that connection is the marketing that we are doing on a daily basis. That's we right. become that brand and we become the best marketing piece that we can have. So that's wonderful to always think about it and do it. That's right. Do it all the time. So how would you help me say uh, goodbye to our VOE audience? <laughs> Hasta luego. Hasta luego. Ciao. Ciao. Gracias. Bye-bye. We are also extending the value of VOE by continuing the conversation. Go to the National Speakers Association Facebook page. Tag Pilar or myself in your questions and comments, and we look forward to hearing your thoughts. Also remember to download the VOE app if you are not already using it, so you can enjoy this valuable information on your own time. Talk to you next month. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.